0: I'm going to go ahead and get in our message uh, today. What I wanted, what I wanted to do is, of course, we've got two more weeks to Thanksgiving. I'm going to do a Thanksgiving sermon. Okay. Yes, you probably saw it coming. I'm showing up Sunday morning. We're going to do a Thanksgiving sermon, but hopefully, we're going to see what Thanksgiving really was in God's heart and what Thanksgiving is in our own hearts, because a lot of times we as as Christians especially, I think we think that we're thankful every single day. I know I try to be. I think I thank God for my family and for the awesome people that are around me. I pray for each and every one of you every single day. And I think to myself, you know, how can I actually, you know, how do I see myself being thankful? Because sometimes I think that we have to, step back and go, am I really thankful for the things that that God has given me and the people that He has given me? I mean, I look at my family. My family has went through a lot over the last years in order for me to go to school, in order for me to, uh, to do ministry and to do the things that I've had to do and also work. You know, and the thing is, is that I think about that and I say, well, that's just what families do. But you know, the Lord's been telling me this week that, you know, thankfulness is I have a peace between me and between you. So, I titled this, Thanksgiving is the Peace Offering. And you may be saying, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, you have to understand where Thanksgiving actually came from. Thanksgiving here in America. Do you know why we had Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving. You just scream out, if you will. Go ahead, Betty. <laughs> the pilgrims, they had it. Um, so we also had forced Thanksgiving. I'm kidding, but um, you, had, you had George Washington that, that had days of prayer and thanks. You had Abraham Lincoln. Uh, you know, Grant actually put into to what we think about now is the actual Thanksgiving holiday. But then it was actually changed with Roosevelt. Roosevelt came in and said it's going to be the fourth Thursday of the month. And see, why does all this matter? You may be going, Dusty, why does this matter? Well, every single time we've had a Thanksgiving, it came after war. Every single time we've had Thanksgiving, it came after we were trying to get everybody back back in line of peace. See, Thanksgiving was not about let's just give thanks to God. I'm just randomly going to have a Thanksgiving to God. No. We had a revolutionary war and people were devastated. They had people still in England that was, their, that was their family and their friends and they had completely and totally cut themselves off. They were traitors. There wasn't much that they felt Thankful for. And see, Washington said, No, we need to have a day of prayer and we need to thank God for the blessings that we do have as Americans. That we were able to win this Revolutionary War. And that, yes, there are people who have died on both sides and there are people that you've left behind. But here are the things that we are thankful for. We're thankful that we can actually worship God without reprisal of any type of church involvement by the government. See, the government in England was running the church. That's what happened. Ever since Henry VIII, I am, you know, they they created basically the Church of England and broke away from the Catholic Church. And from that point on, the government, the king and the church were all one thing. It's the whole reason why the pilgrims, and I still to this day, so anybody that tells you that colonization is bad, we fought against colonization. What what happened? We went and we fought against colonization. The pilgrims did not show up here on Plymouth Rock as colonists, okay? Now you go find your Wikipedia, you go find your... your you know, your Britannica, and they're going to say that they were colonists. They were not colonists. They were being driven out because of their belief system. They didn't want to follow the Church of England. But you know what? When they came to America and they had to to work with the Indians, what did they do? It was Thanksgiving. It was a peace offering between the Indians or the Native Americans. Because some of them actually thought that, you know, Columbus thought he found India. That's why we have the term Indians. But we actually had a peace dinner. That's what Thanksgiving was to the pilgrims. Was a peace dinner. And see, you may be going, well Dusty, that sounds great. I just learned some history. That's awesome. Maybe I knew that. Maybe I didn't know that. But how is Thanksgiving this peace offering? Well... Guess what? At the end of any big war, you have to have peace or you stay in war. And what Thanksgiving was signifying this whole time in the Revolutionary War, in the Civil War, when we got out of World War I, World War II, all of these things signified peace. And thanking God that we could reset our calendar. Do you know that the same exact thing was happening in the Old Testament? We'll find here just a second in Leviticus that the children of Israel, and I'm going to, I use the word children of Israel because it's in the Bible, but I give air quotes around that because they were the brats of Israel. I mean, I'll go back and show you all the scriptures. You may be going, "Well, they were perfect. They were God's chosen people. They were." Mm-hmm. I can't even say the word because you would be all offended at me. But I will tell you this, Israel, the people who came out of Egypt, were more Egyptian than they were God's chosen people. We're going to find out this. So, see, Thanksgiving was a sacrifice. Yes, we've got turkeys with guns and they're fighting back. They're, they're trying to make peace, I guess. But what I want you to understand here is that the Levitical law was given for a couple of reasons. And we're going to go into all those reasons, but I want you to kind of know what thanksgiving was to God and to the Israeli people. And it says here in Leviticus 7, 11 through 15, it says, This is the law of sacrifice of peace offerings, which He shall offer to the Lord, If he offers it for thanksgiving, then he shall offer it with a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Now, let me tell you, they're about to make some donuts, okay? And you may be going, why would they make these donuts? Why would they make this this symbolistic sort of a, a cake mixed with oil? And what you have to understand is that symbolism to God had realism. See, we think of it as symbolism, but see, in the back in these days, leaven was a bad thing. Leaven took over every single thing. If you put leaven in one part of your bread, it would leaven the whole lump. And so what happened was, is God would say, hey, leaven is like sin, leaven is like having... Uh, having this thing in your body that's like a cancer that metastasizes and gets into your body and completely and totally destroys you. See, what we have to understand is that leaven and unleaven was how God was teaching the children of Israel that you still got some Egypt in you. You still have some some sin that is inside of you that we've got to get out. And the only way to get that out is through the other thing that we use as a symbolic thing that wasn't symbolic. God used it all the time and it was called oil. Okay? So, somebody just scream out, what did oil symbolize? The anointing. See, God was basically saying, hey, I'm going to put the anointing inside of you in this unleavened bread And you're going to fry it up and you're going to give it to the priest. I'm going to show you that you have this ability through me to basically not have those sins in your life. That the anointing of God mixed with this flower shows that you can have the anointing of God because you're one of my children. And see, a lot of people thought to themselves... Well, that's great. That's awesome. But we do have this thing that's called sacrifice. And so I give you down here this thing, sacrifice. It says, Thanksgiving is this word, todah. It's like, todah! Thanksgiving. No, it means to praise. But have you ever heard the, the term sacrifice of praise? Well, a sacrifice here, and this is... Zebach, it means a victim or an act of offering. So this would basically mean that you have to have a victim, someone that you put something bad on, in order to have this sacrifice of praise. So they would go through every single year, they would go and they would get the fatted calf, they would get whatever it is that they, because of their sins and everything, they would bring it in. They would take it to the priest. The priest would take all this stuff and they would go, oh, that's great. Let's get rid of your sin because of the fatted calf, this flesh. But guess what? You can take it further and have this, what they called, a heave offering. And a heave offering was this thing where it actually meant to the shoulder. Heave means to the shoulder. It means that I'm going to take my bounty and I'm going to heave it up and I'm going to take it to God and go, oh, look at all the stuff, God, that you did and I'm going to give it to you. And a heave offering was separated out so the priest could eat. See, it would be kind of like this. It would be kind of like, you know, if I didn't work a job and all you came in and I was like having the sacrifice for you guys and it would be like, you know what, I hadn't ate this week. And all of a sudden, Vicky comes in and she brings me donuts. And me and my family, we eat donuts for the next few, you know, for the next few days. And then, oh, well, we had this fatted calf that I sacrificed. Well, you got to keep parts of that and you got to eat it too. And so that's how the Levites actually lived. That doesn't sound real fun to me. Okay? That just because, hey, well, today you got a bunch of sacrifices. Tomorrow you might not have them for months. So now you're believing God for everything that you've got, but see, this is what God was trying to say: is that you're bountiful. Your your bounty that you're going to give back to me for all the good things that I've done for you, that I'm going to I'm going to give that. It's going to have enough for you, and it's going to have enough for the priest, and it's going to have enough for me. And see, that's what I wanted you to understand here about. Why in the world would they be making all these flour cakes? Because it says here in verse 12, it says, um, you know, with a sacrifice uh, of thanksgiving, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Basically, he's saying, hey, we're going to take something that's not sinful, we're going to anoint it, and it's going to be how your soul is going to be to me. It says in verse 13, it says, Besides the cakes, as His offering, He shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise. And from it, He shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering. You're going to give it to the priest. The other you're going to burn. And it shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood on the peace offering, the flesh of the sacrifice Of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day as it's offered, he shall not leave any of it until in the morning. So, what you have to understand here is that there was a peace offering that was being made unto God. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, why does God need peace? Well, God needed peace. It was not the peace that you think, like, oh, I have a peace about this. It was a peace like, I'm waving the right flag. I'm not going to fight against you, God. It was the same word as, as to not make war. Think about this. People in that society, God was saying, you're making war against me. There has to be a sacrifice of peace that is given to me in order for us to be able to have relationship. And see... One of the first acts that Israel had was to make peace of thanksgiving unto God because they had done some bad stuff. You're going, what kind of bad stuff have they done? Why does God require a sacrifice for peace? Well, you know what? They did some bad stuff. So this this was like Leviticus, right? He had already given the law. They were sitting down writing it, talking to the children of Israel. But see, in Exodus 32, Moses had already taken everybody out. He'd taken them, put them in, put them in the desert. He had made them to where he had said, hey, I'm going to give you this land of milk and honey, but you keep messing up. Every time I go to talk to God, you turn around and you create you know, an Egyptian sacrifice. Think about it. They would go, God, <laughs> Moses would go talk to God. And God would be sitting up there on top of the mountain going, Hey, go down there and talk to your people because they, they've created a, a calf made of gold. Well, that was something that was an Egyptian God. See, Israel, the people that had come out, had more of that in them than they had of God, they didn't have a priesthood. They didn't have people sitting in Egypt going, hey, this is our religious beliefs and everything. It was live your life in Egypt as an Egyptian, but you're of the bloodline of Abraham. And Genesis chapter 15 goes through, hey, you're going to have 400 years that you're going to live in this one place. But see, that's what I want you to understand is that God... Basically, every time God would say, hey, I'm going to give you something, I'm going to, we're going to create an opportunity here, the, the children of Israel, air quotes, they would go and they would do something stupid like create a, a golden calf. It says in Exodus 32, 7 through 9, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get down for your people whom you've brought. You know, I've got Lucy and, and basically Ricky, and they're, get, they're sticking their tongues out at each other. You know, every time that Israel would mess up, God would go and tell Moses, this is your people, this is not my people. That, go back and read it. It's pretty funny. I mean, I, God's sense of humor about some of this is pretty awesome. I love how God had some of this written because you'd be sitting there and they would go mess up and he would go tell Moses, he would go, hey, your people are messing up, not my people. Because the people that I'm going to have come out of all this, they're not going to be these people. Even if I have to kill them and make you the heir. Everybody remembers those scriptures? See, we kind of, I think sometimes we don't want to give God enough credit for sense of humor. But God was very much like, hey, I'm not going to take credit for these people. I may take credit if we kill them all and they come out of you. But I'm not going to take credit for what they're doing. And it says here, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Verse 8 says, They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made themselves a molten calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. See, little bitty G on that God. This is what the Israeli people were down there going. Ah, uh, It's really the golden calf that brought us out of bondage. It's not God. It's not the living God. See, they were still bound by their identity in Egypt. See, you'll find out that if you go back and read all the Levitical laws or you go read the law of Moses in any way, go, go look at something where it says that if you wear something that is linen mixed, like it has, like this shirt probably has like polyester and a bunch of other stuff in it, well, you'd be stoned for it back then. Well, do you know why? It's because that was the kind of stuff, if you went and looked at Egypt's dress code, they wore all these mixed, different types of clothes. They might have, you know, they might have like linen that is also got, um, you know, leather and other types of clothing. So a lot of the stuff that was laws for Israel had to do with God trying to get Egypt out of them. He did not want them to look like anybody else in the region. He would say, hey, you can have one beard, but you cannot have a beard that comes off the chin. I call it the bow staff. Anybody that followed heavy metal music back in the in the 80s and 90s, these guys like Pantera, they would have these really long, you know, and they would have, and it would just like fly around and everything. That was basically a way that the Egyptians looked. They thought that was a cool way of looking. And so God said, don't do that because you're not those people. See, most of the things that we find in the Old Testament that we go, man, that was a stupid law. Well, it's stupid for us because we're not trying to stop being Egypt. But God wanted to get Egypt out of them. And plus, He did not want them to look like any other people. And it says here in verse 9, And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people and indeed, they are stiff-necked people. And you're sitting there going, well, man, why is God doing all this? Why, why didn't He just leave them where He was at? I, You know, He still had to have a son. He still had made a promise to Abraham. God doesn't go back on His Word. He may not like the people that... He may not like what... And, and I'm going to use this terminology. See, God loves everybody. But you don't have to like people in order to love them. I was actually listening to a guy guy the other day. I love my kids and I like my kids. That is something that I was listening to this podcast the other day and this person said that 85% of parents do not like their kids. They love their kids, but they don't like them. They don't like what they do. They don't like how they act. 99.999% of the reason why they act the way they they do is because their parents are not good parents but this is the thing in our own society we go i love my kids but some people will go a lot of a lot of people and i think this is sad because i don't like the way they act i don't like the way that they they portray themselves I, it embarrasses me this podcast was like really just given Given heck between parents and kids. You know, and I was thinking about this this week as I was going through this. This was, the, this was the exact relationship God had. God said, I love Abraham. I love the lineage and the line and everything. But I don't like what y'all are doing. And I don't want this to happen. I don't want it to happen. And if you want to be a part of me, then I'm going to try to get this out of you. And so God tried to put the law... To contain their sin. So this is one of the things that I'm going to kind of go and show you. This was not just the first time this had happened. It had happened multiple times. You can go read Exodus. It is throughout all of that. But in Exodus 16:3, it says, And the children of Israel said unto them, Oh, that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pot of meat and when we ate the bread to full. For you have brought us into the the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger." Okay, now that was a lie, okay? Because if you go back a few more chapters, you find out that they were eating leeks and garlic, okay? That was about all that you could do. Now let me ask you a question. You think it's a balanced diet to eat leeks and garlic? I can barely eat a little bit of both, and I'm just sick of it. This is what they were doing. But they just lied about God. They said, God's trying to kill us. He wants to bring us out in the wilderness, and He wants to keep us in this assembly and kill us. Because if we were in Egypt, we would be eating meat and bread, and we would be full to the max, which was a lie. And so the next verse, God comes back and says, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I might test them whether they will walk in my law or not. See, what I want you to understand is that God and Israel were in constant war with each other. It was true. He brought them out. He was trying to get them to land. They probably could have made it there in a couple of months. Two to four million people could have walked right straight through the desert. But every time they would stop, they would go and they would sacrifice to some pagan god or they would do something. Well, they just kept doing that until God killed the generation out. And once that generation was gone, then the generation of Aaron and all them, they came up and they were the ones that that God was able to use. See, that was Moses' people. God basically said, hey, that first generation, that's not the generation that's going to enter into my land. But see, I will have them, the next generation, they will be the ones 40 years from now that will go into the land of milk and honey. They will be my people, and they will take everything that I have said, and they will do. But see, God found out because He tested them, and He found out that they could not handle manna from heaven. You know, I look at this and I say to myself, in our society, we have a government that right now, if you just said, I want to quit, you probably can go fill out paperwork and get free EBT, right? You can go down there, though. I mean, there was actually people that I knew that made as much money as I do. That went and signed up for EBT back a couple of years ago because it was super easy to get. All you had to do is just sign up for it. And you could go down to the store with your credit card and you could sit there and you could get all the food you wanted. And the government paid for it, right? Well, no, it was my taxpayer dollars. But you know what, the more we give people, the more they hate us. The more we give to people, especially a generation that is un, um, that is not grateful, that doesn't thank people for what they do. You know, I can't even find people. You go in there and you'll have some people that might say, well, thank you. You know, the word you're welcome is hardly ever used. People feel bad about using you're welcome. They'll say no problem or don't mention it. But you know what? In order to have a good back and forth in a relationship, I give you something and you say thank you. And then I turn around and I go, you're welcome because I want you to know how much that transaction meant to me. See, Thanksgiving is not just about the the transaction that I have where I say thank you for my gifts for Christmas. You know, a couple weeks ago they did a pastor appreciation. I thanked everybody. Thank you very much for, for all the cards and for for the gift cards and everything. It was awesome. You know, the thing is, is that you can give to somebody, but there can be no transaction back to them. And I'm not saying y'all did that. I'm just saying that I use that because I look at our society and I start saying people want a one-way transaction. I I dump the money off. Like, you know, I go and I, I start throwing money at people. See, he, my son grabbed that pretty quick. He's, he's good at that. But see, I go and I just dump it off and go, all right, there you go, but let's not have a relationship. I know I'm going to get it back from him at the end of it. That's the reason why I threw it over there. But I know where his piggy bank is. Anyway, but I want you to understand is that we don't have this transaction anymore of true thankfulness and being welcome. We are not creating peace amongst our people. Do you, know that, do you know that every time we have a transaction between us and I say, thank you, Vicky," and Vicki goes, you're welcome. You're welcome is supposed to signify that it truly was something that was between us two. That we had peace and harmony and joy amongst ourselves. You know that we have created a society where we give out of sacrifice. So we have victim mentality, victimhood. Well, I have to give my taxes. And I have to give, you know, like at work, I don't know how many people at work, if you've got you know, things like United Way, they come in they really push you and go, hey, I need you to give to United Way or at least go fill out this paperwork that shows that you participated. Well, you know what? That's not a thank you, you're welcome transaction. There is no peace and joy. It's, I did my part, click a couple buttons and we're going to move on. But see, peace, true peace is when I require something of you and you require something of me. We don't tend to live that kind of lifestyle anymore. So Jesus came to give us this peace. You know, Thanksgiving is a matter of our heart and about about this revelation of how we have peace amongst each other. You know, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, I want you to notice the words here because we went from a sacrifice of praise, which by the way, if you hear a pastor or somebody or, or a friend of yours and he goes, "Well, you need to give a sacrifice of praise, they usually mean, and, and this is just after talking with lots of people about this, that usually people will say a sacrifice of praise is, when I don't feel like doing it, I do it. But that's not what the Old Testament was. The Old Testament had nothing to do with that. It had to do with God's going to get me if I don't give. So there's a difference. I mean, we live in this grace uh, transition. Jesus brought about the, the time of grace where He gave the gift openly without asking for thanks at all. He himself brought peace and joy and goodwill and love unto men. But see, I want you to understand something. A sacrifice of praise back then, it was supposed to cost you something. It was supposed to get you to a place to say, I had to really, I had to dig deep in order to go buy those donuts. See, what Jesus came to do is he flipped the script on us. He flip-flopped it on us in order to say, hey, I want you to have peace and I'm going to give you peace. I'm not going to require peace offering from you. And it says here in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and I'm closing here. <clears throat> and it says, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So this word in the Greek, thanksgiving, is eucharista which we get the term eucharist from anybody who's who's heard of that you know we we go and we do you know basically we do our um our offerings and we'll do um communion and and all that it was all a part of the eucharist it was a part of thanksgiving and it says to be grateful let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. It's God's peace, His peace treaty, without any return from you. By the way, you have nothing to give God. There is not one thing that you could give to God that would give Him anything because He has everything. He gives peace to us through Jesus Christ freely and openly. There is nothing we can do except for receive. And see, what I want you to understand is this uh, Eucharista is a compound word. The E-U is well done or congratulations. And uh, charista is grace. It's a gift. So Thanksgiving truly means this. Well done on the gifts that God has given us. See, our focus nowadays is I give thanks back to God because there's nothing I could give Him in return. There's absolutely nothing that I have that is good enough. I can't give enough money. I can't build enough. If if I had billions of dollars, I couldn't build enough hospitals, orphanages. It doesn't matter. I can't do enough to give God anything. So peace is given to us and not taken from us. See, God wanted us to understand back then, before Jesus, that it cost you something to have peace. Just like we have today. See, Thanksgiving in America has been lost in a lot of ways because Thanksgiving in America, we don't have a war. We haven't lost family members. We haven't lost the things that are near and dear to us. Most people are looking for turkey and football. Those are the two things that you want to get out of Thanksgiving. Hey, you know, Reba, are you going to make your your yams with the the orange sauce and everything? That's what I want. I'm I'm going ahead and putting it in, okay? We're going to go ahead. We're going to get that going because that's what Thanksgiving is truly about, right? It has to be. That I, get, that, that I get my stomach full and I watch football on Thanksgiving. But see, truly, a peace offering, truly the way that Thanksgiving is supposed to work is that we're supposed to take every single thing that God has given us and we're supposed to say, ah, I'm at peace with God and God's at peace with me. See, that's what true Thanksgiving is about. And see, this, this coming up Thanksgiving, I'm going to give you all some homework. I know y'all probably don't want homework, but that's perfectly fine. I want you to think about three things that you're thankful for that God has given you and that God has created in your life that you couldn't have bought it. So I don't want to hear, you know, and I'm not going to ask for people to, to, you know, but I would, I'd really like for you to do this. I don't want it to be, well, I'm thankful for my house. Well, I'm thankful for my house. It keeps me warm at night. It was cold last night. Thank you, God, for my house. But that was something you bought with money. That that doesn't count. I I want you to think about the things that God has given you and graced you. And I'd like for you to think about one to three things. That this Thanksgiving that you can truly sit down with people in your family and go, I am thankful that you have given me like my wife and my kids Maybe thinking, oh, that was an easy one, Dusty. Well, I'm more thankful that they also, that they have the same vision I have. That's what I'm most thankful for. Because I could have a wife and kids that they don't love me and I don't love them. And that would not be very thankful. But for them to be pulling in the same direction as me, to be equally yoked, that is you just don't know. I work with people who tell me every single time I talk to them, it's like, "Well, I got to get my wife on board. Oh, my kids don't like doing this or my kids don't like doing that." Well, guess what? That's a burden. Cuz not only do I have to live my life and I have to I have to work a job and I have to go and do the things that I'm supposed to do, but I also have to oh, are they going to leave me? Are they going to stop supporting me? Are they going to stop doing that? I don't even think about that. They tell me if they're upset, without a doubt. But you know, I've never had them one time go, Dad, Dusty, you're, I'm not going to work with you or follow you. Most of the time, they're encouraging me to continue to go on. And that's what I'm thankful for, is to have family have friends that are constantly encouraging me to do the things that God has put on my heart. And I'm now, in return, doing the exact same thing back into them. I listen to what they have to say. See, that's a part of this Thanksgiving thing I want you to understand is because next week I want us to really think about how we can give the gifts so that people are thankful for that interaction that your welcome starts returning to who we are. It says here in Luke 2, 11 through 14, it says, For there is born unto us this day the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothing, lying in a manger. And suddenly was there an A multitude of angels of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill toward men." Do you know that at that moment in Luke where you had the the people that were out there and they were tending the sheep, one angel shows up and he says, Hey, there's going to be a sign unto you. There's going to be a baby that's going to be in swaddling clothing that's here in Bethlehem. Go see him because he's the peace offering. Because it says peace on earth and goodwill towards men. God basically said, hey, I'm going to sign a peace tree with all men that is going to be my son, that is going to be the dividing line in history that is going to come back and say, I no longer am fighting against you. You know how important this is because without Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, coming and dying for us, then we would never, ever be able to have peace with God. Because now God just sits there and goes, ah, you know, Jesus and God are standing up there side by side or sitting on their thrones and all of a sudden Dusty makes a mistake, which I do all the time. And, and all of a sudden Jesus goes you know what that's covered you know it's like a good insurance policy Jesus is sitting there and God goes I don't really like what he did and Jesus goes it's covered I'll send the Holy Spirit to talk to him about it see that's what peace is is peace says that I have this reckoning between me and between you and Jesus himself said, the war is over. It is finished when he was on the cross. Amen. Amen.